beauty doesn't have to follow that pretty pink delicate kind of scheme but it can also express itself in in a you know athletic build for example um in in taking a lot of space in uh sheer power hey dancers welcome to the show I'm Julie, and I'm your host today on this episode of Broche Banter. I both own and teach at Broche Ballet, a virtual ballet school just for adults. Join us as we explore all things adult ballet. Today on the show, I chat with Patricia, the creator of Late to the Party Ballet blog and Instagram account. She started ballet six years ago after doing ice hockey, hip hop, a little pole dancing, and then ballet. Her incredible breadth of life experience gives her a very unique perspective on ballet, and our conversation winds to so many fascinating places, from the concept of turnout and how it relates to her son's cerebral palsy, to anxiety and cross-training. For more from Patricia, be sure to follow her on Instagram at LateToThePartyBallet, or check out her blog, LateToThePartyBallet.com. Enjoy! Before we get to the show, let's take our broche bite. On this segment, we'll talk about bite-sized ballet tidbits to give you something to chew on while you listen. Today, we have a extremely relevant Japanese proverb. Do you want to know the difference between a master and a beginner? The master has failed more times than the beginner has ever tried. So the next time you get frustrated by falling out of a balance or a pirouette, just think that you're one failure closer to mastery. Now, onto the show. Welcome to the show, Patricia. I'm so excited to get to meet you today. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's very been a long time coming. <laughs> it has been a long time coming. We've been chatting on Instagram on comments, not even on direct messages, really, just on yeah. comments for, I don't know, years, yeah. it seems like. <laughs> no, um, and I, I'm so enjoying your, your account. So, you know, it's, and I, Often I don't really have time to go through everything and, you know, comment. So it's so nice to actually get a chance to, ch to chat. I really appreciate being here with you. Very much looking forward. Um, you're, so you are late to the party ballet on Instagram and you have yes. late to the party as your blog as well, where you write really, really, I mean, you say long form, right? On, you advertise yourself as long form and it is truly long form. It's very cerebral discussions and well-researched articles about what it's like to be an adult dancer. Why, what got you, what got you into all this? When did you start? So I started uh, about six years ago. I was 37 and it was more of a, um, I would say an accidental start. So I never, I never had this dream as a child or maybe I did, but you know, it, it didn't like prevail. Um, not as that I remember that, you know, I always wanted to get back to it. Um, and I was always in sports, but mostly like, you know, more like team sports or endurance sports. And so never really, no, like never in dance. I actually, I considered myself not very talented in dance, you know, whenever I was at a, in a fitness studio and there was some sort of aerobics class, I felt like always oh, totally uncoordinated and avoided these things. Although I did always love, uh, clubbing. So, you know, like going out and, and dancing. Um, and then I basically um, was a time in, in my life. So um, my son was, was pretty young, around three or four. And I had played ice hockey for a while, uh, which I also started late as an adult. Um, and then it just got too much. And I, I felt like, you know, I didn't want to continue with that because um, late ice times and lots of traveling for games um, and then then I quit and then I was looking for something else and I started taking hip-hop classes and that's what really got me into a dance studio and then from there it was a short stint into pole dance and then finally ballet I just thought you know it might help me get better at hip-hop but then it kind of took over <laughs> Wow, um, I have never heard a journey from ice hockey to hip hop to pole dancing back to ballet. Like that is the most unusual trajectory I think I've heard. Right, yeah, maybe, maybe often it's the other way around, right? Yeah. That, that dancer, like ballet dancers branch out into other sports. But I think, you know, we need these stories that go both ways and, and you know, it's, 
it's so fun to to yeah to have it go both ways and so amazing i feel like um the the things that would attract someone to ballet are so different from the things that would attract you to ice hockey mm -hmm. or hip-hop is that is that true or is that just what i might showing my lack of knowledge about those two things so you know the culture obviously is very different so that is definitely it was it was a barrier for me like i couldn't see myself in that kind of you know very delicate and and graceful type of activity um so I think that's why it was this progression through hip hop, you know, so this was still something very athletic and, and, and uh, um, athletic in terms of, you know, like perceived as athletic and, and maybe a bit, um, um, I don't know, more cool or, you know, cool kind of yes. dance. I agree. <laughs> um, and so that basically, you know, it got me closer because I would, sometimes I would see, the ballet classes taking place while I was waiting for my hip hop class. Um, so I think that took away these, you know, the, that, that barrier. Um, on the other hand, there are a lot of similarities I find because, you know, like in ballet, like in any high performance setting, you have to put in a certain type of focused work. Um, and, and also, you know, certain parameters are, similar like it's both are an anaerobic type of activity basically um you need turnout for skating uh not as much as in ballet but but you know you have this kind of you have the um the turnout mechanics um you need to be very balanced on skates so um yeah, so there are some unexpected similarities too. <laughs> you have it, it. It brings to mind a blog post I remember you wrote about why being pretty in ballet can sometimes get a little bit troublesome. Um, what What is that uh, idea about? Um. So I wrote this article. Um, because I felt that, you know, it's easy to portray ballet as, as something very narrow or narrowly aesthetic, you know, like that there's this, this pretty aesthetics. Uh, and then, and I find this, um, this perspective quite limiting um, because ballet can be so much more and, you know, it, it, it is so much more and, so the idea was to kind of introduce a more diverse idea of beauty, I would say, you know, that beauty um, doesn't have to follow that pretty pink, delicate kind of scheme, but it can also express itself in, in a, you know, athletic build, for example, um, in, in taking a lot of space, um, and uh and just you know sheer power um so yeah so you know many kind of ex expressions that it can take i think and and i wanted to point that out because also you know especially in instagram it's of course the pretty pictures they kind of you know they are quite popular so um so this was also i guess um a the idea to kind of encourage a more diverse uh, visual expression of it too. Well, it's interesting because ballet is so much, if you think about a corps de ballet, the whole point of a corps de ballet is to look the same, right? The whole point is to move exactly the same way, to look exactly the same way, to have your headpiece on the same way, to have your leg at the same height. So I think it lends itself to that idea of sameness and mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Um, how do you, I, I don't not yeah. yeah I don't necessarily accept that, but I, it's just interesting how it feeds into that idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that that maybe there is a unique opportunity for people who start ballet as adults and don't go through that um, you know conventional progression of a pre-professional training and then you know going through the hierarchy in a in a company. Um, because I can, I think you can find that that unique, that individual expression right from the start. 
because you have to build everything yourself, right? You have to build your training environment yourself. You have to build, kind of put together your resources, find your teachers. Um, so, uh, so there's much more space, I think, for, for expressing beauty in different ways. And also we're bringing uh, a lot of experience of beauty and grace into this when we start. So it's a much more informed beauty I find and we don't have that pressure to you know look like the person next to us and so I you know I think there's there's um, a bit of freedom in that and and I think it's also worth exploring that freedom and that space. It's yeah yeah, it's it's fascinating I was I had a goal-setting workshop with my dancers a couple weeks ago and I asked them at the end what their goals were and every single one of their goals had to do with creative expression um, mm-hmm. wanting to make a routine, wanting to feel graceful, wanting to be able to dance in the house, wanting, to, I mean, wanting to be able to create something like it was incredible how, as you're saying, as adults, ballet is very much a creative expression while within the constraints of trying to make something exactly how someone else yeah. made it within yeah. that range. It's so creative though. Yeah. And it's true. You know, what, what you just said is the, the unique thing about ballet compared to other dance forms um is that the movement repertoire is actually quite narrow you know when you think about classical ballet um so so that's you know it's a it's a very unique challenge to sort of um work with that movement repertoire um you know and respect it in a way too um but then you know but do it in the way that works for you and on many levels, you know, like emotionally, um, physically. um, And so, yeah. And then, you know, and I think that's, that's important because it's so easy to get stuck in, in a certain idea of how things have to look on the outside and then totally ignoring um, that, you know, that you still have to create it from the inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so true. So you mentioned another interesting point in that last um, uh, bit that you said was about how as adults, we have to piece everything together, which I think is just such a good point. We have to really build it. There isn't, even if you're going to classes at a studio, a lot of times they're not a progression from A to Z. They're not meant to take you from age eight to age 18. They're not like, they're not designed like that, right? Because adults come in and out. It's not as rigid of a program. And so we are very much piecing it together where you can get someone who's dancing for 10 years, but yet doesn't know some random small piece because it never mm, happened totally. around yeah. their life. How did you piece together your training? What, what has your last six years looked like? So I started in a drop-in setting. Um, you know, I basically took the class that was available for absolute beginners in, in my studio. Um, and then a few months in what I did was I found a teacher for private lessons because I found that uh, the, the drop-in class was great, but you know, you need kind of, it's, it's kind of hard um, because there's no like systematic progression in a drop-in setting. And it also often it varies from teacher to teacher, you know, what they consider a beginner level and more advanced level. Uh, and also what they address and what they don't address. Um, so those private lessons, which I took like every other week, um, they helped me sort of fill the gaps that I had in the drop-in setting. Um, and so basically that, that was my main approach, I would say, about for the last years was to find studios that, that felt good, that felt like a ballet home to me. And then work with a um, teacher in, in a private setting and, you know, like roughly a couple of times per month because it's, to me, it's not necessarily the, how often you do it, but, you know, even one private class can just kind of, you know, jumpstart so much. Um, so, yeah. And then, you know, and then um, of course work at home also. So kind of an idea how to build uh, the athleticism for for ballet and um, yeah and you know in these times uh, it, it's more than just strength and conditioning basically or um, but it's actually also technical work for me right now at the bar. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, right. We can't really go anywhere at the moment in time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or not, not as much, you know, like, I don't, I don't know what the situation is. Uh, you're in Denver, right? Yeah. I just moved about an, an hour north of Denver recently. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm in that area. So it's okay. Are the studios open there? They're now? open here. Yeah. Especially okay. in yeah. more Northern Colorado where it's not as big of a city. So it's a little smaller yeah. here. Um, they're mm -hmm. open, you know, they have the limitations and the requirements like, you know, the mask and the distancing and all that, stuff, yeah. but yeah. they're, mm -hmm. they're open. Um, yeah. yeah. Same, same here. Uh, I haven't gone it, but because I'm still in quarantine after right. coming from, uh, coming back from Germany, but, uh, I can't wait. <laughs> Is that where you're from? Uh, yes. So that's where I grew up. I was born in, in Poland originally but we moved to germany when i was about six years old so i grew up in in germany northern germany and um but i've been before we came to canada about three and a half years ago i um i lived in munich for the like 10 years prior oh so um, you started ballet in germany yes yes in munich correct oh, okay and did, are the classes in german there yes yeah yeah um, but you know, the terminology is still French. So, uh, so no, we have kind of a universal language, which is a good thing about Bali. That's right. And so when you came to Canada, obviously you had to start taking classes in English or were they in French or what was the situation there? Uh, no, they were in, so Toronto is English speaking. Okay. So they were in English. Um, and I mean, of course, you know, some, some of the terms, uh, you know, you use the, the other language you know like most terms are french obviously but then you know like there are always terms like i don't know even turnout right yeah. it's then is a translation so um yeah but but usually you know i find even when people don't speak the language um it's usually no problem to take a class and uh, when it comes to ballet i love yeah. taking class in from people who don't speak English natively because the literal translations of the way people say things in other places is fascinating to hear in English. Like a common one for turnout translates literally to outside and it's like, have your knee outside your hip. And it's like, well, I, I suppose, I suppose that's true. It's just fascinating yeah. how the mind, the language shapes your mind. Right. On the off in French is basically the, the, yeah, outside. Yeah. Yeah. True. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting. Yeah. It always, it always fascinates me. Mm-hmm. So what does, so, okay, so you have a, you have a child as well through all of this. How did you make time yeah. during this? Because you, your, your child is, is a teenager now, is, is that right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, I always felt that um, ever since I became a mother, that it's important to have things outside of being a mother and, um, so it's to me it's it's one of my priorities to make time for things that that uh nourish me and um that give me a chance to you know express other strengths and and ideas and talents um outside of motherhood so i've always been quite good about making time for ballet and you know for other activities too and when he was younger and um i wanted to class and he was with me i would just take him along and he would just sit and, and wait um and yeah now he's old enough he just stays at home and enjoys it <laughs> yeah right <laughs> he's gonna turn 14 uh, next week um yeah so it's and you know on the other hand so my my uh, son has a disability cerebral palsy uh and i more and more i find that my study of ballet and you know the movement patterns for ballet and motor learning that it very much feeds into um into the way my son works and does his exercises and the way i can support him so mm. it kind of it goes both ways you know that like in the end it's all about motor skill learning and how to change the brain um and so you know for him it's he's 
yeah, he wants to improve his walking skills. And for me, it's about improving my ballet skills. And mm. there's not really that much of a difference, I find more and more. <laughs> wow, that's fascinating. So the training yeah. mechanism is really quite similar. Yeah, in terms of, you know, like principle, I like to think in principles. Uh -huh. So the way, you know, you would trigger changes in the brain, the way you kind of try to get a movement pattern into the nervous system. Um, these are quite universal principles. And, um, you know, it doesn't really matter what it is that you're, you know, what specifically or what specific movement it is. Um, but more how to how to make the body adapt hmm. and the system adapt. Yeah. So um, are some other examples of what you're talking about, like riding a bike and learning to swim? Is that other things like what you're talking about, how to learn different movement patterns? Yes, yes, exactly. So when I talk movement pattern, it's like, you know, how, how does the nervous system, the brain activate the muscles in the correct sequence and in the correct time with the correct timing and intensity and so on. And, um, and that never ends sort of, because you can always refine it, right? So you can always make it more precise. And so there's never an end to motor skill learning because you, you always, you can always improve quality. Um, so yeah, so that would apply to all kind of, um, activities whether that's dance or swimming or learning to ride a bike yeah it's actually really interesting i just finished reading a book called learning how to drive without fear i have lived only in cities for the last 13 years and have mm -hmm. not driven a car since i was a teenager and i'm relearning how to drive and just sort of getting the hang of all of it and he was talking about the author was talking about motor skills that you need for driving but he was not being specific mm. about what that meant and i'm i'm thinking I'm not sure what motor skills you're talking about, but he must mean the, the ability to know how to steer and how much to stop and how much to turn yeah. and where to put the car. It must be you talking about firing the right things in the totally. right order with the right intensity. Do you think that's what he meant? Yeah, and I love that example, actually, because often when we think about driving a car, we don't think so much of movement, right? Because we're basically sitting right. um, and the car does so much for us. But actually, you know, driving a car is... is, um, is also a high level movement skill because well you know first of all you have the actual movements right like um how you you know what you do with your hands and your feet right uh, but then you also have for example eye movements are are key in driving you know and kind of um at the same time holding um different and also conflicting pieces of information you know so like mm -hmm. sensory input um, and then coordinate that with your motor output. So, um, yeah, it's actually, you know, like, and then everything happens at a very high velocity that, you know, we're not usually used to when we just walk through um, street beats. So, um, yeah, I love that example. <laughs> How's the book? It sounds interesting. Oh, it was a great book. I really enjoyed it. It's meant for senior citizens, but I feel like the principles apply to everybody. Yeah, especially no, I because think it's great. Yeah. He, he talks a lot about, um, you know, just how to overcome fear and how to, like you're saying with, um, and I think we get this a lot as dancers, when we get afraid, our body no longer responds, our mind no longer responds yeah. properly to our surroundings. Mm -hmm. And when we have anxiety, if we're going to mess up the combination, if we're going to hit a parked car, if we're going to... We, yeah. we picture a car accident, whatever happens in your mind, and you get anxious, it stops you, it stops your motor function, it stops your coordination from yes. behaving properly. And so he talks a lot about overcoming fear in driving. I mean, it was just totally relevant to ballet, like every dancer should read this book as well. It was so relevant. Yeah, you should listen to it. <laughs> it was what, what he, what, can you give an example what he, um, what kind of ideas he kind of, um, gave in terms of overcoming that fear or yeah uh, just curious it was I mean it's a fascinating read and he talked a lot about what made it spark was that you talked a lot about focus and, and like knowing what to look at when you have all these sensory outputs coming in at you um, he talks a lot about learning what you should focus on in a given mm -hmm. moment in time and that that is a really critical part so in terms of the eye movement he talks a lot about what specifically to focus on and then how often to look in different places mm -hmm. and that that focus is really the key to stopping your anxiety because you're focused on a point and an action and you're visualizing going down the center lane. You're visualizing 
your body moving over a poor a part in space because he talks a lot about drive your body not the car so he talks about like how you would picture your body going through the center of the lane and not the car going through the center of the lane so you're getting like body awareness and just almost like focusing on the moment or focusing on the physical sensations of it all which always helps with anxiety is focusing on the physical totally. sensations. I love that yeah yeah super I mean it says he's taught over 5,000 people how to drive senior citizens how to drive so you can imagine he's probably seen it all fascinating yeah and I like the focus on the body versus the car because it's so easy to space out physically when you're yeah. driving you know yeah. like when kind of feeling like that everything is kind of happening and, and done for you mm -hmm. um so I, I love the idea of actually feeling the body move through space uh -huh. yeah it's so new and I think it's very true when you're thinking about dancing that you need to feel your you need thing. Feel your body like it's so odd that you become disconnected from your body as a dancer when it's so it's all all it is is your body but yet you do somehow become very disconnected from your own body when you're critiquing it so much and thinking about so much technique it's really easy yeah. to get out into space yeah. totally same totally same thing i'm you know i've never thought about it so it's it's great that you brought this up this this analogy but it's true i you know i'm just thinking for example when you uh wait to um for your group to go um you know do a di diagonal and you're not sure of the combination um and you know so you kind of keep uh thinking about what to do next or you you watch someone else what they do uh and how that totally takes you out of your body and you know you kind of you, you're not aware at all you know what you're actually doing uh because you're so focused on on other things and yeah it's a very odd sensation i talk a lot about the pirouette panic where when you go for a turn somehow you black out and like can't feel your body and if you ask a dancer which way they fell they have no clue if you mm -hmm. ask if their leg was turned out they don't know they couldn't feel it they there there's there's a lack of connection in the mind and the body and i think well his theory is that it comes from the anxiety of a situation which is you know when you're on a diagonal and you're like oh this is so scary yeah. they're gonna watch me yeah. do it and you have the anxiety yeah. and it detaches you from your body the anxiety detaches you from your body yes mm -hmm fascinating mm. what do you um uh, how do you work with your students around the pirouette panic <laughs> um I, <laughs> i have really my main goal with them is to get them to feel comfortable with the act of turning so that they're not surprised when they feel a sensation of turning or being dizzy or being disoriented so i'll have them just mm -hmm. stand flat parallel and just like spin around with their arms just like spin around and maybe pick up a leg and get a little dizzy and then know that it's okay and that that dizzy feeling is pretty normal mm -hmm. and that like you it's been a long time since you were dizzy right like as a kid you enjoy getting dizzy but once you get older being dizzy yeah. feels like a problem in your mm -hmm. body it feels like problematic so um i try to help them with that i did read a fascinating book on panic attacks um a, a while back and it was fascinating about how to help people have panic attacks And one of the ways that they do it is to have you simulate all the feelings you would get in a panic attack. So breathing mm -hmm. through a straw for two minutes to feel lightheaded, putting your head down and spinning in office chair so you feel dizzy, like mm -hmm. not eating for a while so you feel the hungry feeling, and then teaching your body that these feelings are okay and that you're not mm -hmm. going to die from these feelings. Um, mm -hmm. And then generally panic is actually continued to trigger through your own fear of your physical sensations. So one thing triggers anxiety and then you're like, oh my God, I'm feeling scared. And then you're like, oh my God, I'm feeling dizzy. I'm going to die. And then you're like, oh my God, I'm feeling even more dizzy. I'm going to die. And it just is a cycle literally rooted in the physical sensations. It's not even mm -hmm. rooted in anything else other than you feeling scared about how you feel. Yeah. It's like the same thing, you know, when you can't sleep, you're kind of more worried about not sleeping, <laughs> not sleeping than, you know, than what the not sleeping actually does to you. <laughs> That's right. You're like, oh. I have to get to sleep. It's midnight. I can't be awake this late. You have to get to yeah. sleep when you start panicking. Yeah, it's, about so you're awake. <laughs> it's no good. It's no good. You can't let the panic creep in. Yeah. <laughs> um, you talk a lot about turnout. You, you seem obsessed with turnout, which I love because I'm also obsessed with the hips and how they work. Um, mm -hmm. I'm also fascinated by your perspective on how you train turnout. A lot of people think coming to me that they can't get their turnout as an adult, that you have to have developed this motor pattern as a child, that you can't figure it out. Um, you are obviously of the very opposite mindset as well. Um, talk to me a little about your, about your philosophy on turnout. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, great topic. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, because there's so much limiting thinking around turnout in, in Bali. So, uh, yeah, can't talk about it often enough. That's right. <laughs> um, so to me, turnout is a motor skill, just like any other movement. Um, and, you know, in order to learn a motor skill, you have to understand what needs to happen in the body. And specifically, um, you know, we, we talked about movement patterns. So what's the movement pattern that needs to be activated? And, you know, to put it in simple terms, you essentially have to know what your bones have to do in, in that movement. So uh, to me, the starting point for turnout work is, is actually understanding uh, how the, um, the femur, the, the, the thigh bone, needs to move in the hip joint socket. Um, and... And that's, you know, it's, it's a challenge because it's not something that you can like solve once and then it's, it's done. But because every joint has, you know, an, like a unique anatomy, um, like for every person, um, every person, everyone needs to figure that out for themselves. Um, and to me, this is done by a lot of like movement exploration. So working with uh, very small movements and just kind of listening to the body, listening in terms of, you know, like trying to develop a, a um, awareness of what feels right, what feels good, what feels mobile versus what feels restricted and where am I actually pushing against resistance. Um, and that to me is not necessarily a structured type of work where you do certain exercises, but this can be very, very open where you just take time and, and you lay down on the floor or you stand and then just, you know, kind of um, rotate with very small movements and then, you know, develop that awareness basically. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and this work to me, that's, you know, that really goes into um, activation work where you would actually activate these kind of correct movement patterns before every class um, and just as, as a regular part of your training. Um, and then once that is sort of established, then you can add like um, mobilization, stretching and strengthening. And, um, and as, as far as, you know, having to start as a child to get like full turnout, I mean, yes, there is, as far as we know, there is a component of, um, soft uh, tissue contribution where you know when you start early and, and your tissues are still soft um, you can probably achieve more um, whether we can achieve that as adults maybe on a much longer time scale I don't know quite frankly I don't think there is any evidence because you know it's it's always a numbers game right um, uh, we don't probably have the population that you know has worked like for two decades to improve the turnout um and you know, there's, there's not much research interest in in that area um so i think you know it's a lot like in these kind of areas we it's when we don't when we don't have the knowledge we have to try that's kind of my my take on it you know just try it work on it and see what happens and maybe you have to work for a long time um yeah, so <laughs> I think it's very funny that you introduce the idea of the time horizon. I don't know if funny is the word, but funny and funny in a funny way. Um, I think it's it's very important when you're thinking about goals to think about the timeline, right? It's um, the the idea that we overestimate how much we can do in a day and underestimate how much we can do in a year, right? It's yeah. like in one day you can do literally nothing, right? One day, one practice session. What do you you're achieving next to nothing, but you do a hundred yeah. practice sessions, and that's a big deal. Um, yeah. and I think. Your point is really, uh, I never thought of it like this, but when you're talking about a kid getting perfect turnout, they have worked on it for 20 years and then they have it. And yeah, I mean, they had different. an advantage of maybe, you know, working on it and getting it faster because yeah. of their, you know, of their tissue situation. Um, so, you know, what I was saying is that as an adult, it might take longer than it took for the kid to get right. this to the same thing. Yeah. But yeah. even so, if you had to, let's say an adult took 30 or 40 years, 
yeah. Um, has anyone started at 20 and seriously worked on it until 60? Maybe, yeah. but not yeah. many, right? Not many, not probably many. not. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing, you know, you start at 40. Do you know what, what, you know, if you do, if you really do the work, what's going to happen at 60? We probably don't have many people, you know, doing that either. Because, you know, it's not only that you actually have to start and do it as long, but you actually have to keep up that, that work as well. And that's, you know, it's, it's also not easy because there's, you know, other things in life also. And right. yeah, but, but, you know, we're talking about this um, to say that, you know, it's not necessary to say it won't work when we don't know. Right. Right. <laughs> right. We don't, we're not sure that we've tried is what we're yeah, saying. Exactly. Yeah. We're not sure we've given it a real try. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I once pontificated the theory that um, learning to dance with turnout is very similar to learning to speak with a different accent or like how to develop an accent in another language um, yeah. because it, it permeates everything in the language. You have to develop a different way to use your tongue. You have to change your thought patterns. You have to do all of that. Do you find that similar or do you think that's an off the mark assessment? No, I think that's a great analogy. Um, yeah, totally. Because it's, it, as you say, it kind of changes your, your baseline for everything else on top. That's a nice word, baseline. Yeah. 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 Because mm -hmm. everything has to be done in that way, right? I think that the, ba the word yeah. baseline is super interesting when it comes to ballet because it's not like you turned out once and you were done. It's just a constant. It's a constant. Exactly. It's like a state of being. It's, it's not an end result necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to carry it through through you know right. to whatever you're doing when you when you're playing or you're standing on one leg or you're jumping uh you still have to carry that that baseline through just like the accent so you know that analogy actually works pretty well <laughs> i yeah the, i'm i'm new to the, the the idea of it being a baseline is super interesting because i think you're when you're talking about it being a motor pattern i think that that makes a lot of sense to me too it's hard to explain what turnout is and there's a you know the common question why can't I hold my turnout why do I lose my turnout in the center why can't I keep it and the answer is because it's hard right you're changing the way you do things and the problem is we're going against your natural tendencies right your natural yeah. tendency as a human is to have your legs forward and we are trying to do everything by changing the fundamental way that you stand yeah yeah well you're, you're changing a habit you know like to me it's the same thing like much more simple example than turnout would be normal standing, you know, like our just normal standing, non-turnout. Non we always think of standing as, as something, um, you know, fixed, like you kind of have a certain posture. Um, and we, th we tend to think of it as static, but standing is just as much a motor skill. It's, it's a movement pattern you know, like the way you stand, because it's, it's, um, it's the way your brain activates your muscles, just like in any other movement. Mm. Um, and so, of course, it's possible to change the way you stand. Um, but, you know, as the same thing, it, it's the same kind of work, you know, it's the same kind of work as developing a turnout. It, you, you're creating a new baseline and you have to carry it through um, whatever you're doing with it. Mm -hmm. So, so you know, it's not it's not un unique to turnout or to ballet, um, but often we're not aware of the things that we do mm. anyway every day that are kind of this kind of baseline that that we totally can change. Uh, I think it's interesting that you bring the point awareness into it as well, which is when you're thinking about posture. Um, it's actually very challenging to change your posture because you lose it every second, right? When you have a new dancer coming in or when I work with a new dancer, every two seconds I'm reminding them, talk to the pelvis, lift your stomach, talk to the pelvis, lift. And they're like, why are you just told me that? I'm like, yeah, I know, but you already lost it. It's because gravity is constant. Your old habits are constant. Um, and, and, and eventually you can feel when you lost it and update it. But in the beginning you have, you can't even tell that you need to re-engage your muscles. It's, it's, you know, it's so fascinating to me. I, I always laugh when I, um, when I start my bar and, you know, I kind of like before the first plie and I you kind of find my body and my, uh, my placement and I start the first plie and it's, you know, everything's gone. Like, you know, my 
like the pelvis that I placed so nicely. Like that's why I like to work with a mirror because it, you know when I do class, um, either no matter if in the studio or or at home, because then you know like you see how insanely fast you lose these things and it's. <laughs> maddening sometimes <laughs> yeah it is I'm like just stop moving just stay where I put you <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> um, but I think it, I think a little bit of it comes back to um, the the driver teacher um, his name's Norman I can't remember his last name um, what he said about focus right so much of a teacher's job or when you're learning is is knowing what to focus on so in yeah. Rajajam you think that the Rajajaming leg is the thing you should mm -hmm. be thinking about but that's just the distraction there yeah. to distract you and you need to be thinking about your standing leg and so then training yourself to focus on an area will help you feel when it is gone out and when you need to re-engage and then that eventually helps train your your mind to activate without you having to monitor it but it's still a, almost an immediate losing of the muscle engagement mm -hmm. when you yeah. stop looking yeah that's a great point actually and that's um uh, I noticed that too, that, you know, the mind likes to go and the awareness likes to go where it kind of, you know, where most things happen or where there's a lot of movement. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's actually, you know, to take the awareness to the key spots, that's actually a skill. Yes. You know, both for a teacher to, to do the reminding uh, and to know what you know, what to let the students focus on, but also when you work with yourself to to be able to shift that focus and put it where it matters. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, I um, think it's the number one skill. I think when you're learning yeah. ballet, it's the number one skill is what to focus on because there's so many distractions. Everything is a distraction. Remembering the combination, your classmates, your leotard is writing up, your slipper feels weird. I mean, everything is a distraction. And mm -hmm. so to train your mind to focus in on the things that matter, like it, it doesn't, these other things don't matter. These two things are what matters and the rest will, will happen. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a very important skill to develop. How do you, um, how do you approach that um, either for yourself or when you work with your students, like what guides these, these um, awareness focal points for you? I I tend to spend a good amount of time discussing before an exercise what they should be focused on and what they should be feeling. So um, mm -hmm. helping them identify initially the sensation that sh they should be feeling and then helping them understand that if they have lost that sensation, they've probably lost the muscle activation. So a sensation mm -hmm. might be pain, right? Muscle pain. It might be like, my leg is tired. Okay, but if your leg stops being tired, then maybe it's time to re-engage those muscles. So you should continue to feel tired through the whole combination, or you should continue to look for these physical cues. So usually I spend the beginning of the combination telling them what to focus on, and then they should already know what I'm going to tell them during the combination. And then during the combination, I'll remind them of those things I've already told them. So today, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to focus, let's focus only on the standing leg on Ronde Jam. Then I'm telling them the combo, but then continually bringing them back to the standing leg. Like, did you think about, maybe let's check in, let's check in there. Let's see what it's doing. Have mm -hmm. you looked at your standing leg in a second? Maybe see what it's up to. Maybe look at your elbow, maybe look at your standing leg and just kind of helping them develop. I hope that one day they hear me talking in their head or any of their teachers that's saying standing leg, standing leg, pelvis, mm -hmm. standing leg, elbow, standing leg, standing leg. And that they end up having, let's say like a pyramid of stuff that they're looking at standing leg being at the bottom elbow being at the top and you know maybe music in between that they know how to go back and scan their body repeatedly and which parts to scan at what cadence mm -hmm. i like the idea of the pyramids that you have you know you have a bit of a hierarchy there um and you have a foundation and then right. you know so the other things that rest on that foundation yeah yeah i think it's um I think every teacher has a different pyramid. I think everyone generally says posture is yep. the most important thing, but I think some people would put elbow number two, right? And maybe for me, that's not as important. And so I think that's mm, the really cool part about fine. going to so many different people is that some teachers are like, they tell you about your shoulders every two seconds and they never mention your pointed foot. And then you go to another teacher and they say, point yeah. your foot, point your foot, point your foot. And they're not talking about your shoulders. And so I think that that is a huge benefit of 
different teachers because you can hear what they think is important for you mm -hmm. to focus on. It's all important, yeah. but you can understand their shape and how they got to what they find important. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a great point. Uh, also, what you just said about uh, benefits of working with different teachers. I, um, I've always felt that. And I think, I also think, you know, because you asked about how do you piece together your ballet training? I think one important element is to, if you, if you can, you know, if you live in an area where you have different options is to also switch studios, um, either, you know, like that you kind of jump between studios or that you switch after a few years. Yep. Um, even, you know, if that takes you out of your comfort level and you kind of leave your beloved home. Uh, but I think that input from a different perspective is so important for, for learning and for not getting stuck on a plateau. And um, yeah. I think honestly, different perspectives entirely is super useful too. Like when you think about the way you piece together your life right out of ballet, when you're thinking about bringing in, you know, the ice hockey and the hip hop dancing and the pole mm -hmm. dancing and even, even seeing your son with cerebral palsy and combining all of this information about how to move one's body is all helps yeah. shape the dancer you become because you have all these different things that you know about. You know about the muscles, you know about the brain, you know about how to use it, you know how to put power behind your body, you know all these different things. And I think that is also super important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I know I've, I've seen that you also kind of engage in very different uh, activities, right? And you have also your strength training regimen and your hiking or your Peloton, I think I saw. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it seems like you're feeding your, uh, your dance, your own learning, but also teaching um, from different sources as well. Yeah, I think... What's uh, your experience with that? Like, um, yeah, I think that... So I pieced my training together as well. I did, I, I did very similar to you where I was in a drop-in setting and then also sought a private coach as well to piece things together. Mm -hmm. um, I hope one day that piecing doesn't have to be so expensive for everyone. I hope one day it's a little bit easier for adults to find that. Um, and I hope that, I've, I hope that I can be a part of that movement to make it easier for adults to quote unquote piece it together and get that. Um, mm -hmm. Because like you, I took it every so often. It's obviously adds up and it's hard to find. I mean, it's hard to, you can't replace your regular training with that. You have to do both. Um, mm -hmm. But I did, that's where I got a lot of it from. I also did some summer intensives when I was 21, the ones that would take people who were over 18. Um, and that mm -hmm. was like an incredible experience. And then I've just been, I mean, everywhere I've traveled, I've taken drop-in classes and just mm -hmm. try to take as many as possible. Um, even doing summer intensives, I was on an audition circuit, you could call it. All of them come to New York City where I lived to take auditions. And so I think I auditioned with maybe 30 of these people. So then I got 30 different, you could say, classes from all these dancers and learned mm -hmm. a ton from just that process. So I think I've always had that instilled in me just from having to piece together so much where yeah. I've found incredible value and didn't feel so dogmatic. Like I think a lot of dancers can feel where if two teachers said the exact opposite thing, I tried to look for what they were saying. As you said, to use your word, you said principles. You like to think about the principle of the matter. And one says lift your standing hip and one says lift your working hip. And you're like, but you can't both be right. But it's possible for them both to be right. You just have to think deeper about what they're truly trying to get your mm -hmm. hips to do and how their mind works to get your hips to do this, um, yeah. which I always found to be a fascinating part of it. Um, and then as of late, I've been adding in other things. I added in the, the Viking with Peloton because I wanted to understand motivation a little bit better. Um, mm -hmm. And what gets people to do stuff they don't want to do? Because I hate cardio, and <laughs> I wanted to. I heard that Peloton was good at motivating people, and I was like, "All right, come at me. Let's see what you got. You know, <laughs> let's mm -hmm. see if you can get me to stick to something that I hate." And they did. I love and that. They, <laughs> I love that motivation to do. You know, like like knowing why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was the only reason, really, honestly. Um, and then I loved it. I fell in love with it. They, there's so much about mindset, and there's so much about your your training your mind to overcome challenges and overcome hardships and how to take a very uncomfortable physical sensation and push through it, which I don't think I had that sort of training in my life before. I think I always just shied away from challenges and never felt like I could do it. So they were all about teaching you that your body is extremely powerful. You have no idea what your body is capable of and mm -hmm. you need to train your mind to 
you know, just be a part of the process and not shut it down. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's, that was ultimately why I stuck with it, I think, because I got so much value from the biking. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I still did, disliked the, <laughs> the process of biking, um, but just learned a ton about it. Um, and then lockdown happened and I lost access to the bike in our gym because that was where I was doing the biking was in, in the gym. Oh, I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then I couldn't do the biking anymore. Um, but COVID was incredibly stressful running in-person studios. It was incredibly, horribly stressful. And I was like, that was the only way the bike, the bike, the Peloton instructors, I felt were the only way I was going to be able to do it because they were so positive and helped me shape my mind and helped me get through challenges and get through hardships. And I didn't think I could do it without that positive mindset training because I was already, I was still new to it. And I didn't think I could do it without the instructors. So I just, that's when I started doing strength training up just the body weight stuff upstairs. Cause that was all, I didn't have the bike and the bikes. It took three months to order because everyone else bought one too. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so that was why I started that. And then at a certain point I started adding in yoga, just kind of browsing the app, seeing what was on there and just, uh-huh. I mean, incredible benefit. I just, I always shied away from yoga and anything else because I thought, if I only have an hour to work out, I wanted to be ballet. And I really loved ballet. And I always felt like anytime I did anything that wasn't ballet, I was taking away from my precious ballet time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was always afraid to take a yoga class at the studio because there was a ballet class on the schedule and I would rather just do ballet. That's um, a, yeah, such an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. I totally, I, I can totally relate to that. Mm-hmm. It feels too hard. It's like, but now I take one ballet class a week online and I get better every single week because all week I've been stretching and working on my mind and working on my legs and working on my upper body and studying and learning Spanish and, you know, all this stuff that's fueling my mind and my body. And then I come back to ballet and every time I come back, I'm better at it. Amazing. So I, I'm still exploring this whole world. It's very, very new to me, like three months old. (laughs) Yeah, no. And it's such an interesting point. And, and also, you know, I, I still struggle with that too, because essentially it's, the question is like, you know, how much do you need to do in order to get better? You know, like, yeah. of course we know that you can only get better if you do something with enough repetition. So you have to do, you know, ballet often to get better at it. But there's a point when, um, when it can get too much and actually the return diminishes. Right. Because of, you know, because basically the nervous system more even than the body can't hold it anymore. It's basically it's overwhelmed. And then and finding that sweet spot, that's, you know, I think that's that's one of the main challenges of becoming an, an athlete and whatever mm-hmm. um, or becoming a coach and, and guiding your athletes. And um, and, you know, and there's so much, you know, like the whole culture around sports and dance also is one of the more the better mm-hmm. um, and it's just not true but you know how do you how do you navigate information and build the awareness for your body that you know often tells you when enough is enough um, yeah I, I mean you know there's I have so much to explore in that area as well but I agree with you that that in order to learn you have to come at it from different angles mm-hmm. and your movement, you know, take something as, as a movement pattern. Um, a movement pattern has different elements. And so you can have like those weak links. So you won't necessarily improve the whole pattern if you just repeat it, mm-hmm. but you have to kind of find a way to break it down and then work on, on that weak link. Right. Um, so that's, you know, where yoga comes into play or, um, you know, different activities that would strengthen different areas of your body and, uh, and also take the pressure off of other areas, yes. you know, because repetition means also stress. So if you can do something that takes, um, unloads um, your body in certain areas, you know, you also have enhanced recovery and you avoid injuries. So that's you know all part of the the game (laughs) it's so part of the game and I think at different points in my journey it was a different balance like in the beginning I don't think I would have been improving if I was spending six days on something else and one day on ballet because the the 
the vocabulary wouldn't have come, the movement patterns wouldn't have come. So in the beginning, I don't think that would have worked out. Um, mm -hmm. And I guess granted now, like I am teaching about 15 to 18 hours a week. So I'm doing ballet that much, but mm -hmm. in a teaching capacity. So I'm not totally focused on my body. I'm focused on the dancers yeah. and kind of doing half, the, you know, 80% of the motions. Um, but yeah, it's changed throughout. It's changed. It's changed throughout Absolutely. Yeah. my time. It definitely, it depends on skill. So where you are with your learning. Uh, I think it's also an age thing. Um, and, and then also, you know, you have certain cycles, right? You have like micro and, and micro cycles, like what you do within the week or what you do within a few months and then within a year. Um, so, you know, a body can't work at 100% for a whole year. So you have to have some sort of uh, up and downs, um, ideally planned, because otherwise the body will just take them, right? With injuries. And <laughs> no good. Pain. Um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, definitely an interesting topic and, and life, lifelong learning in that area for me, definitely. Always. I think everything should be lifelong learning. It sounds like that's your... Um, your bent as well. Yeah. True. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess uh, to, to wrap it up, I, we went so many places with this conversation. Um, mm -hmm. uh, one last question for you, I guess, is why, why do you love ballet and why is it worth it for anyone who might be considering either quitting, why is it worth it to keep going, or someone new, why is it worth it to get started? Why do you love it? Um... I, oh, that's such a wide ranging question, of course. <laughs> um, I, you know, and on one thing, I, so there's one level, uh, one layer that I think I can't explain. It's just, you know, it's just something that I feel drawn to and, and I'm not trying to explain that attraction. It's just what it is. You know, it's kind of, it just feels good and makes me happy, uh, gives me peace. So all these things, um, and and then more specifically, I think I just enjoy this, and I've always enjoyed this kind of work as an athlete to to get something uh, to a point that makes me satisfied. Um, you know, just to feel improvements, uh, realizing that I can do something that I couldn't do, and and I think with ballets. Specifically, it's it's interesting because you have very clear benchmarks of you know what good means, um, you know what good skill means. So um, it's very rewarding to work towards that because you can you know you can clearly define how much closer you can you get to it. Um, and then I think you know there's also this part where to me ballet is is really a movement practice more than just an activity or um, an art. So it's something that that is just part of my day and that informs my body in whatever capacity I'm using it. So, you know, even if I go through my day and completely unrelated activities, ballet still informs the way I act and think and feel in other situations. And, and I feel that it has done very, you know, good stuff for me in that respect in terms of how I'm moving through the day and the peace that I get from doing a class. Um, so it's, yeah, it's definitely, it, it goes beyond the class itself or the dance itself. Ballet yeah. is, uh, it's, it's a magical thing. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, it's, it's interesting how, because, uh, you know, um, I told you that I had um, issues uh, this summer, COVID-related, to get back home to Canada. So I was in, you know, for quite a bit of time, I was in a very tense place. And it was extremely stressful because I didn't know, you know, if, when I would be able to go home. And so it's been one of, you know, of the toughest periods of my life. Um, and having something that would take me out of my head and just back into my body every day. Um, it was like so key. It was crucial to kind of survive that. And I've, and I've felt that before that it's, you know, it was like really 
mental health saving to have something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. It, the, we just need a break from our minds sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of relentless up there. Yeah, exactly. And there's, you know, different way, ways of doing that. And ballet is probably one of the more healthy ones. <laughs> yes. yes, that's a very good point. <laughs> Um, well, I'm very glad that you made it back home to Canada, and I really, really look forward to continuing to follow your journey on online and, and keeping in touch. I'm, I'm thrilled that we were able to chat today, and if anything good came out of COVID, it's this podcast and getting to meet you and so many other fabulous people, because this wouldn't happen yeah. if we're all living our busy life, so if there's anything... That's true. Good, yeah, it's such think. a good point, and I'm, you know, I'm glad you, um, you put it out there with, you know, that you're... Um, happy to have conversations and I'm really happy I jumped on it <laughs> no it was like it was, it was uh, totally it was a pleasure and um, I look forward to to following along and your you know following your bright ideas and and projects and um, yeah keep going and and keep doing what you do so important you too you too you're you're uh, you're a strong voice in the ballet world as well <laughs> thank you thank you very much thanks for listening today dancers for more adult ballet you can follow our studio on instagram and facebook at broche ballet you can follow me on instagram at julie the ballerina or check out our blog and youtube channels for more content you can even dance with us in our online studio with daily live zoom classes private lessons and our on-demand video library don't forget to have your story featured on our podcast. Email us at hello at brocheballet.com. I'm Julie Gill, and this was Broche Banter. Happy dancing!